So today, as Dodger mentioned, we are starting this series called the Book of James. If you've got your Bible, here's what you can do right now. Find your way to the Book of James. Now, um, it's in the New Testament. I'll give you a hint. The rest of it's on you. You've got to find it. If you've got um, your phone and you've got the Bible app, the YouVersion app, you can um, make your way there. If you didn't know this, you can always search in events on the YouVersion app, the Bible app. You can search for events, Church at Cane Bay, and you'll find my notes there this morning um, that you can, you can actually follow along with the notes as well. But make your way to the book of James, and then we're going to be diving into chapter 1 in just a minute. So for the next 11 weeks, this is one of the longest series we've ever done. We're, for 11 weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of James. Now, here's the thing. Um, it's actually not a book. It's a letter. It's a letter written by the younger brother of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you knew that that's who James is. This book is named after James. And here's the crazy thing, and you can go research this on your own. His name was actually Jacob, which is Jacob. Which So I don't know how we started calling him James, but anyway... Maybe that was his middle name, or I, I don't know. But anyway, so but we know him as the younger brother of Jesus, and he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter, and and here's the thing. It, early on, we're going to find out in just a second that he wrote this letter to refugees. Now, the Jewish people, if you know a little bit about history, they were living in the Roman Empire. Roman controlled most, Rome controlled most of the world at the time, at least the world as they knew it. And the, the emperor's name was Nero at this time this letter was written. And Nero was one of the most ruthless, vicious emperors there was of the Roman Empire. And he slaughtered and tortured uh, Christians. Now, there are reasons for that that you can research on your own throughout history. But if you go to Rome and you visit the Colosseum or whatever, you know some about history. What happened with, with people of faith, people who chose to follow Jesus, were often ripped apart in the arena. They were, um, they were, they were persecuted and, and they were tortured and they were often killed. So what happened is they would, they would leave their country. They would hide out. They would, they would kind of spread out. It was called a dispersion. They dispersed. Um, this happened to, to the Jews a lot of times throughout history, and this is one of those times where they were targeted by the Roman emperor. Now, that is who James is writing this letter to. So you just need to know that as we, as we follow along this morning. You just know the context of, of who he's writing this letter to. Now, here's another thing that I need you to know about James. If anybody in the whole world knew that Jesus was a fake, or Jesus was not the Son of God, or Jesus was a false Messiah, James would be the one to know that. You know how I know? Because he's his little brother. How many of you have a little brother? Just, just raise your hand if you've got a little brother. All right, so I've got a little brother too. Now, I could bully my little brother, I could make fun of my little brother, I could outdo my little brother, but one thing is true about my little brother I couldn't fool him like he, he lived with me. He knew who I was. And see, I don't know if you can picture this, but picture Jesus growing up as a little kid and as a teenager. And his little brother James watched every move he made. He watched every time he played video games. He watched everything he did. James knew about Jesus. If anybody in the world knew whether Jesus was real or not, whether Jesus was who he claimed to be or not, James would know, right? I would think I would trust what James thought about Jesus. Now, 
if Jesus said that he was the Son of God, and he wasn't the Son of God, his little brother's not going to let him get away with that, right? Almost 25 years after Jesus died and rose again, James writes this letter, and I want you to look at what he says in the very first verse of chapter 1 of the book of James, or the letter from James. James says this, look at this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, or better translated, Jesus Christos, or Jesus the Messiah, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now that's how he opens his letter. That's the salutation. That's how he opens the letter. And I want you to notice what he says there. And you've already, you already noticed this probably, is that he calls himself a servant of God and of what? And of my big brother. Now, he, does, he says, a servant of God, and like you said, of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one would call their brother the Lord of the world and the Savior of the world, the Messiah, if that's not really true about him, would they? I think James was close enough to know if this was true. Now, here's the interesting thing. Early in James' life, when they were growing up, we get a little hint in the book of John that his, his family is skeptical. When Jesus is young and growing up, they know they've been told that he's the Messiah. They've been told that, but they're, they're watching him grow up and they're like, could this be true? Could this be real? And in John chapter 7, verse 5, look what it says. It, John gives us this hint early on in Jesus' life, early on in Jesus' ministry even. It says, for not even his brothers believed in him. So there was a time in which his brothers, Jesus' brothers and family wondered, is this for real? Is he really the Son of God? Is he really the Messiah? Remember, his disciples even wondered that about Jesus for a while. But then something changed in, John, in James. Something changed in Jesus' little brother. And Jesus' little brother became convinced that he was exactly who he said he was. And guess what happens to James? He becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And in 62 AD, history tells us that he was stoned to death for identifying himself as a Christian and leading the church. Listen, if your big brother is not the savior of the world, you're not going to die saying he is. It just doesn't happen that way. Now, if you've got a little card, you should got, have a card near a seat near, near you. Pick this up just a minute. And I'm, I'm going to, this little card is for you to take home as we walk through this series. There's information on the back that you can spend time reading your Bible through part of the book of James. There's some songs you can listen to. It tells you what the series titles are coming up. But, but here's, here's what I want you to know about James. This, this, the theme of this letter is this, that believing in Jesus changes the way you live. All right, are you with me? Shake your head like this if you're with me. Believing in Jesus should change your life. Do you agree? Okay. Does it always? Oh, you don't know what to answer to that, do you? Yet? Okay. Just keep coming back each week. So here, here's the thing. Believing in Jesus should change your life. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't change your life, then my question and our question in this series is, do you believe? Right? 
All right, so, so let's, let's jump into this. So, so let me tell you a little story real quick. So there was a, a famous French tightrope walker that you may have heard about before. He had a French name that I cannot pronounce, but he, became, he had blonde hair and he became known as Charles Blondin. He was a Frenchman and his greatest feat was he walked a tightrope, I think it was like 1,100 feet across the top of Niagara Falls on September 14, 1860. It was his greatest feat. And on that day, the news, newspapers reported that crowds of people came and watched. He did crazy things that day. He walked on the tightrope blindfolded, backwards. He carried a, a chair. He even pushed a wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes in it. And after watching all of this, he turned to the crowd after they watched him do this, and he said, do you guys believe I can push a person in this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? What do you think the crowd said? Yeah, I mean, they've been seeing him do this. They said, yes, and they cheered loudly. And then he said this, he said, who will volunteer to be in the wheelbarrow? And the way the news reports it is no one volunteered that day. You see, here's what I think. Believing is not just something you think with your mind. It's not just something you say with your mouth. Believing is something you do with your life. Are you with me? It's, it's I trust in what he said enough. I trust in his ability enough that I'm willing to get into the wheelbarrow. Now, obviously that day, they kind of believed, but not really. See, according to Jesus' little brother, believing in Jesus is something that changes your perspective, it changes your words, it changes your money, it changes your relationships, it changes the way you do your job, it changes the way you treat people, it changes the way you spend your time, it changes everything about your life if you really believe. Now, in other words, I would say it like this. Believing in Jesus is not something I do with my head. It's something I do with my life. And so we're going to keep talking about that all the way through this series. Now, the first five weeks of the series, if you look at that card, the first five weeks of the series is this. Part one is that we live what we believe, that we live out what we say we believe. The second part of this series, the last six messages in this series are we believe what we live. And you're going to find out why we've broken it into two parts like that as we walk through. So are you James chapter 1? All right. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into, we're going to skip the first 18 verses. I know I read verse 1 to you. Now we're going to skip verse 2 to 18. Are you with me? You with me? We're going to skip verse 2 to 18. Now the reason why is because James really gives us the theme to his letter in the second part of chapter 1. But next week we're going to come back. We're just confusing you. Next week we're going to come back and do verses 2 through 18. But if you'll make your way down to verse 19, this is where we're going to start reading. All right, verse 19 of chapter 1 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, last Sunday, right here in this room, Chris Johnson read verse 19. The 
quick, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And he did an amazing job. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the message. You can go to our Facebook page. You can go to the website and find the message from last week. But So I, my question is this. I'm not going to go back and talk about that verse since Chris already did it. But here's what I want to ask you. How do I become a person like that? A person who listens well. All right, my wife would love that about me. If I was a person who listened well, if, if, if I am careful with what I say, I only say things that are encouraging and helpful and kind and necessary. And if I'm a person who's not easily angered, I just have a question. Guys, are you with me? How, how can I be a man like that? Because I think that's the way I want to be. I, would, I think all of us would like to live like that. My question is, how do we do it? All right, look at the very next verse, verse 21. Therefore, so therefore, he's, he's, he's carrying this thought through and saying, therefore, this is how we do it, or this is what we ought to do. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now let's hang out here for just a second. How do you and I get rid of what it calls wickedness and filthiness in our lives? So how do we get rid of all the bad stuff in our lives, the bad habits, when we're angry, when we lose our temper, when we, when we don't say nice things, when we're tempted to cheat or we do cheat or when we, when we do those things? How do we get rid of those things? Now, what the world would tell us or what you may think is that we're just supposed to act better, right? Have you ever told your kid that? Just act your age or just grow up, just act better. Well, that's kind of easier said than done, isn't it? Just to act better. But that's not what James is going to tell us. It's not about just acting better. James says this, look at it. He says that we're to put off these things. How? We're to put off all the bad stuff by, by receiving the implanted word of God. He's saying an exchange needs to happen then in order for you to put out the bad things, something else has to be planted in its place. And he says the thing that has to be planted in its place is the very word of God. So the first point I want to give you this is this. James tells us that God's word has the power, God's word has the power to change our lives. In fact, he says it's, it's got the power to save your soul. Listen, if God's word has the power to save you from eternal hell, if God's word has the power to forgive you and redeem you, then it has the power to change you, right? All right, picture with me this. Picture a dead tree in your yard. Now, if, you're, if the tree died in your yard for whatever reason, it's diseased or you didn't water it or whatever, and there's a dead tree in your yard... Would you go and pin some fake leaves on it to make it look alive? No. I mean, that's not what we do. The only thing to do at that point is once it's, once it's dead, you pull it out of the ground, you cast it away, and you plant something alive in its place. Now, here's what we know. Uh, listen, it, James is saying that if you begin to follow Jesus and believe in Jesus... The old part of you, the old dead part of you, 
And, and, and we can dive into that more in what Jesus says. But the old part of you is dead. And it has to be kind of ripped out by the roots. And the new part of you that, 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 that is born, that you're the new life that you have in Christ, it comes, by, James says, by the word of God being planted in your hearts. Now, I want to give you a little exercise for a second. Um, I, see if you agree with me on this. There's a thing called beliefs that determine thoughts, that determine actions. So look, look at the screen with me for a second. Here's the thing. In our lives, we often, with our kids and in our own lives, we often want good behavior, right? We want behavior to be good. We want to act right. We want to do things the right way. We want to be quick to, to, to listen and slow to speak and, and not get angry. Those are behaviors or actions. But, but here's the thing. To get the right actions, you have to back up and have the right thoughts, right? You have to think the right thing to do the right thing. Are you with me? If you don't think right, you won't do right. You have to change your mind. But really, you have to back up further than thoughts. You have to back up to beliefs. Because if you don't believe the right thing, you won't think the right thing, and then the right behavior won't exist. For example, let's talk about food for a minute. Food. For example, what if you decide that you're going to eat cookies and chips and soda for every meal? Is that a good thing? All right. It tastes good in the moment. But you know that people say, okay, well, that's not good for you. But listen, you've tasted cookies and chips and soda and you say, but they are good. Right? They are good, and it's not really affecting me. I enjoy it. And so you hear people say that it's not good, so you try broccoli and spinach, but it just doesn't taste the same, does it? No. People say, that's good, this is bad, and you go, I'm not buying it. But one day, one day, hopefully this doesn't happen, but you're diagnosed with some health issue like diabetes or some other health issue, and and the doctor says, if you don't change the way you eat, you're going to kill yourself. Now, it was always true that those foods were not good for you. you. Are we in agreement? Those foods are probably not the best for you, even though they taste good. It was always true that they weren't good for you. The truth didn't change. It was always true. But what you thought about it changes the day you find out that you're dying because of what you're eating. You begin to believe something that's always been true and didn't change, but you might believe it a little more now, now that it's affecting you. You see, actions don't really change until you want them to change, right? You won't really eat broccoli and spinach, like, unless you believe there's a real good, truthful reason to do it. Your, your actions and your behaviors don't change until your mind changes, and your mind doesn't change until your belief about what's true and false really changes. Are you following me? So here's what I think. Following Jesus means this. It means that you believe and trust what he says more than what you think and feel. You discard the old way of thinking or the world's way of thinking, and you plant God's word in your hearts, and you decide it's true no matter what anybody else says. Listen, being a Christian, let me just say this first as a disclaimer. 
Being a Christian does not happen from changing your morals or improving your behavior. That's not how you become a Christian. That's not how you follow Jesus. You don't follow Jesus by acting Christianly. You got it? You follow Jesus by surrendering your life to him and letting him, letting his power and his word change your life from the inside out. I would say it like this. Changing your life won't make you a Christian, but being a Christian should change your life. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, there's a difference between hearing and listening. So let me tell you a story. There's a guy named Eric Weinmayer, and he is a blind mountain climber. Now, a few years ago, Eric became one of the youngest athletes in the world to climb the world's seven summits. It's the highest mountain peaks on each continent. And less than 100 mountain climbers have ever accomplished that task. He climbed to the summit of Mount Everest. 90% of the people who start that never finish it, but he finished it. He is a remarkable mountain climber, especially when you realize that he has been blind since the age of 13 years old. How does he do it? Well, see, what Eric says is this, is that he's learned to listen really, really well. In fact, you know how he does this? So everybody climbs with a team. Nobody would climb any of those summits alone. They don't do that. It doesn't happen. So he he climbs with a team, and he ties a bell to the backpack of the person beside him or in front of him. And he listens to that bell. And he listens, he says, even to the breaths of the other climbers around him. He listens to them breathe. He listens to the pick jabbing the ice so he knows how thick it is and whether his foot is going to hold there. All of those sounds Eric listens to, you and I would hear, but we don't listen to them the way Eric listens to them. You see, they're just noises to us, but to Eric, they are sounds of life. So my question is for you is that James just told us, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of it. But here's the thing. Is God's word in my life, is God's truth in my life just noise that I hear, and I may even tacitly agree with it? Or am I listening to what God says as if it is life-giving and life-saving to me? Because there's a difference. I can remember a specific time when my oldest son was a little boy. And I walked in his room and I said, listen, you need to pick up your toys and you need to take a bath. All right, parents, are you with me? Like, that's just a common thing. We're going to pick this stuff up and you got five minutes to do it, right? pick up the toys, get to the bathtub. I'm going to start running the water. I went to run the water. I got distracted doing something else. And 20 minutes go by and I walk in his room and he's still sitting there playing with cars. So I say to him something like this, Wilson, did you hear what I said? "Uh Uh-huh. Dads, are are you with me? Like, he goes, "Uh uh-huh. And I said, well, then why didn't you... Listen to me. Now, 
grammatically, that does, that's the same thing, right? Hearing and listening. Did you hear what I said? Yes. Well, why didn't you listen to me? Well, you know what I'm saying. Why didn't you internalize it and act on it? Why didn't you do something? If you heard me, then all I can, all I can surmise from the situation is you heard what I said, and in your heart you decided, I don't care what you say. That's the difference in hearing and listening. Now look at verse 23. James says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, here's, what I would, here's the second thing that I want you to write down or jot down is this. That God's word always shows us the truth. The Bible is like a mirror. You can see yourself in the pages of the Bible. It reveals who you really are. Now, you may read it and you may think it's just historical information. But what James is saying here is it's like a mirror that you you look into. Have you ever been to a... Maybe you've been eating dinner with friends sometime. Have you ever had this happen to you? Where you maybe go to the restroom in the middle of the dinner and then you, as you're washing your hands, you glance up in the mirror and you see this great big black thing right in the middle of your teeth. Has this ever happened to you? Am I literally the only one? Um, so, so you look in the mirror and you think you find this thing and you like get it out and you think to yourself, how long was that there? And you've been eating dinner for 45 minutes. And then you think to yourself, what kind of friends do I have? I sat there and they never told me. That something blacks right here in the middle of my teeth. Well, see, here's the thing. The mirror in the bathroom always tells you the truth, doesn't it? And what James is saying is that the Bible is like that. It tells us the truth about ourselves. It, it, but it will only be noise in your ears. Listen, the Bible, the words of God will only be noise in your ears until you decide that you want to look in the mirror and see the truth. There were two kids playing outside one day, and um, one kid said to the other one, hey, let's go over to your house to play. And the other kid said, well, why? Why can't we play right here? And the first kid said, well, I want to play longer. And if we go over to your house and my mommy calls me, I won't hear her. You see, let's be honest. Here's the thing. Sometimes I wonder why we neglect reading the Bible and praying. I, I look at my own life and I, when I go through time periods where I'm kind of distant from God or I'm not reading the Bible, I'm not spending time praying, maybe it's time when we're not committed to, to being at church or being in a missional community or being in a huddle. Sometimes I have to ask myself, in those times, is it just neglect Is it just apathy or something deep down in me maybe saying that the the more I look at what God says, the more I'm around God's people, the more I have to face what God says is true and false about my life. And the closer I get to him, the more my life might have to change. And as long as I keep myself at a distance, I I can keep eating cookies and chips and soda and living in blissful ignorance, right? See, we hear the words of God, 
We hear the words of God. We hear Jesus say things like, it's better to give than to receive. And we go, yeah, that's nice. Are you, are you with me? We hear Jesus say things like, we should love our enemies and pray for them and give them our shirt when they ask for our coat. But we, we, we hear God say things like this, the greatest of all will be the servant of all. The first should make himself last. We hear people say, we hear the Bible say things like, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We hear Jesus say, love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And we know all of these things and there's tons more. And we say, we believe that. And then we look at our lives and go, well, I mean, I kind of believe it. Because here's how we know if we really believe it. is when it becomes evidence in our lives. Verse 25 says this. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James calls the Bible the perfect law. Do you see that? He says it's it's the perfect law or the law of liberty. In other words, James says this about the Bible. You may see it as a bunch of rules or something to conform to, but James says it's the very words that will set you free. They'll give you freedom and peace. Freedom from what? Freedom from believing lies. Freedom from coming up with your own truth. Freedom from what other people have said about you. God's word tells you the truth and you can believe his promises. You can count on what he says because it never changes. And in a world where truth changes every day, God's word is the anchor that you can build your life on. The first chapter of the book of James ends with this. It says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Listen, I I just want to tell you something. If you showed up this morning because you thought you needed to be a little more religious, that's futile. And it's worthless. I don't believe the world needs any more religious people who are trying to be good. The world needs some people whose lives look different because they believe what God says. And that's different from being a religious person. That only happens from relationship with God. One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning wrote this. He said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. James concludes his letter by saying this. Well, concludes chapter 1 of his letter by saying this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now look, look at that for just a second. That almost sounds, it's not translated right. It says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It doesn't mean visit, like go by and see them one day. It means to wait with, or to stand with, or to be with. That my life is paused for this reason. What James is saying is this, and he's just pointing out one thing. Because there's a million other things James could have said, but he points out this. That in our lives, as followers of Jesus, we ought to pause... We ought to put our lives, we ought to put our lives on hold for what God really cares about, that it ought to look different with us. You know, we often say this. We often say that the lives of people inside the church don't don't look very different from people outside the church. When we cite statistics like divorce, we say oftentimes there's as much divorce in the church as there is outside of the church. And maybe that's true. And if it is, it's incredibly sad. We often talk about pornography or, or things like this, that maybe, maybe statistically it doesn't look much different in the church than outside the church. And it ought to look different. Like our lives ought to look different. The way we engage people and treat people and get angry and the way we spend our money and our time, it ought to look different. But here's something I find incredibly, incredibly encouraging. That even though all those things may be true, I was doing some research in the last few weeks about foster care and adoption. And it's just interesting that James calls this out here. Because I was doing some research and did you know that over the last 10 years, almost 75% of the people who decide to foster or adopt a child who doesn't have a home, do you know that 75% of people, of those people, are Christians who have been motivated by their faith to act? I look at that and go, we're doing something. Like, we're not just hearing what God says, we're doing something. And I'm incredibly encouraged by that, because that's how our lives ought to look. That we don't just gather on Sundays and say, Jesus, we love you. And we walk out of here and we don't look different than anyone else. Our lives ought to be a persuasive story that Jesus has changed my heart. In my life. In fact, just since I brought up that issue, we have a, on Tuesday, May 28th, right here in this room, we're going to have a a foster care info meeting. So you can go to our website or our Facebook page and find out more about that. If If you feel like maybe that's one way that God is calling you to live out what you believe, then come and and learn more about what it means to be a foster parent. I want to close by saying this. Our mission at Church at Cane Bay is this, that we want to give every man, every woman, and every child in our circle of responsibility, so where we live, work, and play, we want to give them multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. Now, I I capitalized one word in there, or the whole word, the word see. Notice it's the first word that we put and this whole thing about, we want, we want people to see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. We want them to know that God loves them, forgives them, and has a plan for their life. 
And it all happens through Jesus. But notice the first word we use is the word see. You see, too often Christians have just been about what they say, what they preach. But the first word in our mission statement about the gospel is that people would see it in us. The only way people will see the gospel is if our lives are reflecting it. If our lives look different. And our lives will only look different and only reflect the gospel of Jesus if we really believe it's true. And we'll only really believe it's true and be willing to get in the wheelbarrow if we trust what God says more than what anything else in the world says about us. If we are looking to God's word every day and listening to what God says, then we will be convinced that what God says is true and everything else is not. Would you stand with me? So over the next 11 weeks, we are going to be walking through this whole believe what, believe, live what you believe. We're going to be calling me, I'm calling myself to this and you to this. But here's the deal. On the very first Sunday of this series, I just want to make it very simple. Here's what I want you to do this week. This all starts with belief. Belief that what God says is right. So this week, I'm just going to challenge you to do this. Would you just spend some time in God's Word? Maybe you already do, but here's what I'm asking you. Set aside some time every day that you look in the mirror of God's Word and you just say, God, I believe that what you say is true. And I may not understand it fully, and I may not get it, but God, I'm going to keep looking into the mirror of your Word until you plant it in my heart and change my life. That's my challenge, that this week, let's just listen to what God says. Will you join me and do that every day this week with me? That's your challenge. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus' little brother. Thank you that despite the fact that he knew that his life was at risk, And he ended up being stoned to death. He still risked himself to write a letter to people just like us, living in this world in some tough times. And he wrote a letter saying, no matter what the cost, no matter what lies exist, live out what you believe. So God, today, as we begin this series, I pray, that our beliefs would not be something we just think, would not be something we just say, but we would be something that we'd walk out of the doors today and stake our life on, that we would get in the wheelbarrow, that we would do what you say is right and good, because God, you give us the truth, and the truth sets us free. In Jesus' name I pray.